years ago, when I was going to Bob Jones University, uh, it took me about seven years to work my way through school debt-free. And as I got out, I had no debt. I don't know what, what uh, college debt is. I, I don't believe in borrowing for college, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it puts a saddle around somebody's neck when they get out. And so just go 10 years and have it paid for. Well, anyways, you get older. The older you get to college, the better it is. I'll tell you that. I'm glad I was 27 years old when I graduated and wasn't 22 years old. Because a 27-year-old married with a child understands a few more things than a 22-year-old single. Uh, it, just, it just meant more. Um, and so I was working laying carpet. My dad taught me that from an 8-year-old child, 7-year-old, 6-year-old. Whenever I could help him, he took me to the job. Taught me how to do all kinds of floor covering. He did ceramic. He did vinyl sheet goods. He did carpet. He did countertops. He did all kinds of stuff. Anything it was pretty much anything in that area. And so I got a job with a place called Mayfield Carpet, real prestigious place in Greenville at that time. I had only been laying carpet for about two years. My tools were all real shiny. My truck was new. My tools were shiny. My war, I went down to Sears and bought me a khaki, a uh, real khaki creased outfit, top and bottom matched, you know. And so uh, I went, I was 19 years old, maybe 20 at the time. And I went to Greenville and got a job laying carpet. Now, I'd only been laying for two years on my own. There was a whole lot of stuff I didn't know about laying carpet. A whole lot, a whole lot. I had not faced yet. But I was on my own. I was subcontracting, went into Mayfields and Lo and behold, after a while in Mayfields, he gave me a big job, a 500 square yard. That's about what this church is, 500 square yard a church to do. Now, I had never done a, a job that big, but he thought I could do it. He felt good about it. I remember the role that came, that was delivered, was, was laying down on the ground was that high. And uh, I, I got a helper from Bob Jones, a kid that was, needed some work. And he and I would unroll that thing. I mean, you ought to have seen us trying to unroll that thing. And so we'd unroll it, make our cuts. We had about four or five 50-foot cuts front to back. I remember the Methodist Church built about 100 years before then. It had wood plank on the floor, wood planking on the floor. And we were going to go over the top of that. And this was a, remember the rubber back carpet they used to have for kitchens, all that rubber back, had a kind of a foam back on it, glued to the back of the carpet. And so this was a phone back job. And so I remember, you know, calling my brother, which is 10 years old than I am, asking him for some instructions and help me to do this, make sure I do it right. I felt like I could do it. And I remember we took that first uh, 50, 60 foot, it was heavy, heavy stuff, took it into the uh, building and rolled it down. It went from, by the way, that was Old Methodist Church. I, I still think we ought to build churches that way, but in Florida you'd be underwater. But they used to build them down where the back was up and, and the pulpit was down and everybody kind of like a movie theater type thing where they, everybody's going, to, I liked that, I really did. And so I rolled, we rolled that big piece down there, cut it all in, got it all in. And what you do is you roll, the lengthwise you roll about half of it back. Two of you roll half of it back, make sure no wrinkles in it now, make sure it doesn't move. It's got to stay there. And then you, you, you take some adhesive latex and you, you glue all the way that whole area, half of that, and then very carefully, both of you begin to roll that back into the glue. What I didn't realize is that wood was extremely dry from being so old. And so the latex was a water-based adhesive. 
And as long as it was uh, gooey, you know, you could put the carpet in there and move it around. Because what would happen is you roll it back down because it was on a, on a kind of a circle going down, it would get a wrinkle in it. And I, you, you'd have to take your hand and roll the wrinkle out, push the wrinkle out, right? Well, we got rolling that thing out. I had a wrinkle develop in that thing. And uh, I started to try to move it. And it was stuck. Also, you have to understand about uh, foam back carpet is if you stick it and pull it, the foam stays on the floor. So I couldn't pull it up. I tried to pull it up. I saw that the foam was sticking and it wouldn't. And so I got a nice big old wrinkle, you know, a big old wrinkle, right? First piece. And, you know, I thought about how much money the carpet costs. I thought about how much money I did not have. I thought about my credibility going bye-bye, losing my job. I just ruin this first piece of carpet. I had all the rest of them cut, ready to go in. I was in a jam. I mean, I was in a jam. Have you ever been in a jam? Like that? You people that are in construction? I mean... What the Bible teaches to do when we're in a jam, in a real jam, I want to try to go over with you this morning. What do you do when you get in one of those kinds of what, where you're kind of your life flashes before your eyes? And you think, my whole world is just getting ready to collapse right now if something don't dramatically happen. I think of, I went to the Bible and in my reading through the Bible in a year, over and over again for all these years, I've noticed a pattern. I've noticed God's people have a way of dealing with God when they get in a jam. And, that's, and that makes sense to me that I would want to do what they did. It makes sense? Well, the first one I noticed was a guy by the name of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He loved guys. one of the eight good kings of the two southern tribes. He was one of the five great kings of the two southern tribes. Hezekiah loved God, and he had served God in his life, and he had, he had done some very hard things in Israel to get him back because when he came into his, being a king, they were in a horrible, horrible, backslidden, ungodly condition, almost like the United States is right now. And he came in, and he had to do some harsh stuff. He had to shut down some of their uh, houses of ill repute and stop some of their wicked practices and burn their foreign altars that they had established all over the land. He, he wiped that. Now, you know, he wasn't making a lot of friends with those people that were worshiping those. But he didn't care. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. So he got rid of those idols. He got rid of some of them people that were uh, dedicated to do evil. And he cleaned out the land and began to do what God wanted him to do, cause Israel to serve God. Isaiah comes to see him, the prophet, during his time, and he tells Hezekiah, first of all, Hezekiah gets sick. He had a boil. Now, this boil must not have been your average boil. This must have been a serious. I've had a boil, and it feels like you're going to die. I mean, a boil is an infection. A big area can get to be like this, you know, and I guess maybe Hezekiah's boil had gotten bigger. Maybe it was a flesh-eating bacteria. They just didn't know what to call it. Don't know. But he had a boil, and he, and he was sick, and he called Isaiah. Isaiah comes, but God came to Isaiah before he came to Hezekiah, and he said, I want you to talk to my servant, and you tell him that he's not going to live. 
that he's coming home. And you think, Hezekiah wasn't much different than most Christians. You know, we love the Lord. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus said he's prepared a place for us, but none of us want to go. I mean, once in a while you may meet one. But uh, most people, when they get sick, get in the hospital, they ain't thinking about going to heaven. They're thinking about getting out of the hospital. That was Hezekiah. And after Isaiah left, and by the way, when the prophet Isaiah says, God told me you're going to die, you're going to die. You don't have to, like, I wonder if I'm going to die. For the sake of Isaiah, and really as a favor to Isaiah, as a favor to Hezekiah, excuse me, Isaiah was sent uh, with the message that you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. And so here's what the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, and this is the key right here. The whole message, this is the key, is found in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 38. And said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth. And with a perfect heart, and I believe he meant perfect meaning a complete heart. And have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. That worked. That worked. Now, God went to the trouble of giving Isaiah a message and sending him to Hezekiah. But the Bible says before Isaiah even got out of the house, God came back to Isaiah, and here's what he said. And this is found in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. A lot of times you get in a jam and you may cry alone, but you're not alone. God sees your tears. You say, it don't seem like he's paying attention. He's paying attention. He sees you in those secret moments when you call out on him. And behold, I will heal thee on the third day thou shalt go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days 15 years, and I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Syria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, brother, that's big. That's big. Hezekiah is sick unto death. God tells Isaiah, you go tell him he's sick unto death. He's not going to get up. Now, God thinks about stuff before he does it, right? This is the time for Hezekiah to die. Hezekiah leans towards the wall with all of his heart. What does he tell God that changes God's mind? He says, remember me. Remember me. But not just remember me. Remember how I have served you. Remember my zeal for the house of God. Remember my zeal for the law of God. And then he wept. I don't know about you, but that, I went bing, 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 bing. When I saw that, I thought, this is, this is what you do when you want to get God's attention. 
and you're in a jam, and you're going to be in a jam. Trust me on this. Everybody in this room, someday, somewhere, somehow, sometime, you're not going to have anybody to help you but God. He's going to make sure of that because he wants you to call. By the way, and I'm, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I've got to stop because I was going to do some application. I'm not there yet. Let's talk about another guy, Nehemiah. Nehemiah risks everything, risks everything, and, and feels that God wants him to go back and help build the walls of Jerusalem, gets permission from the king to do it, gets, has, has to stick his neck out for all that. If that didn't go well, he probably wouldn't have been alive. Those boys didn't have much value of life. Nehemiah says, I want to go back and I want to rebuild the walls. The city of Jerusalem's a shambles and shame. The gates are all burnt, knocked down by the Babylonians. And so the king says to go ahead. And by another resistance that Nehemiah gets is amazing. He gets resistance from without. He gets resistance from within. He sees, he comes back there and sees the people that have been allowed to go back under Ezra doing the very same things that the people that caused them to get kicked out of the land were doing. Their forefathers. They were taking foreign wives and they were admixing with the heathen. Again, that brings that subject up. Getting, bringing in the heathen in their life. And, and God says, and, and Nehemiah recognizes that. Man, he preaches and he, he, he does everything he can to try to convince those people. They look. The reason that we're in the shape we're in, the reason this place looks like this is because the, our forefathers wouldn't listen to God and wouldn't obey him and wouldn't trust him and wouldn't love him and, and did mix in with the heathen. And look what God's done. Look what God had to do to these people. Is this going to happen to us too? Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 14. He, what, what does Nehemiah do when he's in a jam? Because he's in a jam. Come all this way, risk his whole world. These people are doing some of the same things that the people before them that got him kicked out were doing. Wow, that'd be disappointing to me. He says in verse 14 of chapter 13, remember me, same two words. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In verse 22, he says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. In verse 31, he says, For the wood offering and at times appointed for the firstfruits, remember me, O my God, for good. Nehemiah goes to God, and he does the same thing Hezekiah does down the road a ways. I think it's instinctive of somebody who has walked with God to do something like that. But I'm I just telling you this morning, because I can tell you it worked for Nehemiah. It worked for Hezekiah. It worked for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet sent to a people that would not listen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a preacher, and I can tell you it's really discouraging when you preach your heart out and tell the truth you believe God gives you, nobody listens. Very discouraging when nobody responds. Very discouraging when nobody seems to have taken it to notice. But how would you like to be Jeremiah? No wonder he was a weeping prophet. I think he was persecuted 22 different times in the book. Uh, no wonder he's upset because God tells him, look, don't, don't expect these people to listen to you. I'm sending you as a witness against them. And you're just going to tell them the truth. They're not going to receive it. They're going to harden their hearts. They're going to turn their back. They're going to stiffen their neck. And they're going to persecute you to death. I'm not going to let them kill you, but you're going to think they are. 
They lowered him down into a pit where the mud was up to, you know, where rats and refuse and all this stuff. I mean, he, he's God's man. Well, what's he say? Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 15 says, Oh, Lord, thou knowest. Remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. He brought out some things that he had done for God. In chapter 18, verse 20, he says, Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. What's he tell God? Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and turn away thy wrath from me. And God answered that prayer. It worked. It worked in Hezekiah's case. It worked in Nehemiah's case. It worked in Jeremiah's case. And I'm going to bring up on one you probably won't expect. It worked in Samson's case. Now, Samson's one of them guys that was blessed of God and just took it for granted. Took it for granted. And you can do that. In Judges chapter 16, verse 28, eventually he had a weakness for women. It's been, I heard a sermon one time. I'm going to get this title right. If I don't, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in trouble. The man who laid his head in the wrong woman's lap. I think that was the title of the sermon. I never forgot it. That was Samson. He had these, he kept he kept going to these wild, crazy women. Anybody named Delilah. If you're here and your name's Delilah, forgive me. Delilah. Not too many people name their daughters Delilah. I haven't seen too many Jezebels lately. I have some names I can't pronounce or spell, but I haven't seen Jezebel. That's one of them. Why? Those are notoriously infamous people. Benedict Arnold's not one of the favorite people, you know, because he was a traitor and convicted a traitor of the United States. He's not too well-respected or named. Now, there's a lot of Ben's, don't get me wrong. Judges, chapter 16. Delilah gets his eyes put out. And he grinds at a mill like an animal. They get rid of the donkey and they put old Samson on there and let him grind. And they bring him out and they make fun of him. He's blind. And they hit him and they make him dance and they mock him every way possible. And they finally put him over by the main, a couple of the main posts of the house. And he's got a little servant child that's kind of leading him around, you know. And he, he feels his posts. He feels his posts. He finds out from the kid that these are the main posts of the house. And here's what he says, because he's in a jam. He says, and Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. Remember. Now, he had not done a whole lot of good stuff, but he had done some things for God and obeyed God in some of his actions. And where's he go? He says, Lord, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God. The Bible says they took and began to bend against those, those, those rock and stone pillars that held up the house. And over 3,000 Philistines were killed in his death. The Bible says he killed more in his death than he did in his life. And that's why God raised him up was to judge the Philistines. What it worked for Samson. 
So why would these men cry to God in a real jam? Well, first of all, they knew God in the good times. Okay, this is application. You're not going to be able to cry out to God like they've cried out to God and get him to answer you like they got him to answer them if you're not with God in the good times. You need to be with God daily. You need to walk with God and talk with God. Call him your own. If you want God to help you out of a jam, it would be really wise to obey him when you're not in a jam. The verse behind me here, uh, they're not blessed that hear the word of God. They're the, ble- the people that are blessed are those who keep the word of God. This is Jesus' words up there, by the way. And if you've been trying to, by the grace of God, keeping the word of God, and you've served the Lord, and you've, you've been faithful to, the, to his local church, wherever it is, You've really tried to see it prosper and thrive so it could support missions worldwide, so it could reach the neighborhood that they represent and and, and edify the saints and have soul winning and things like that. And you've tried to do that by the grace of God. I think when you're in a jam, you're going to be able to look towards the wall and say, Lord, remember me. Remember me according to the zeal that I've had towards your house. That with a whole heart I've served you. I believe it'll work. They knew, they had, a, they had some sort of a, if I may say this, they had a relationship with God before the trouble. Uh, I, I don't want to uh, do my own thing and, and live my own way and, and, and disobey God in so many different directions and then all of a sudden call him and expect him to do something for me. So do you have a relationship with God this morning? That's a big question now. That doesn't mean you come to church on Sunday morning or even come to church on Sunday night, maybe even go to Sunday school at 10 o'clock, or possibly even come to a WANA program or work in a WANA. Uh, it doesn't mean whether you're in the bus ministry. Those are all good things, whether you come door to door, whether you do ladies' ministry, or, or whether you do visit shut-ins, or maybe you uh, do the nursing home ministry. All those are good things. Support missions. A relationship is none of those things. It is a walk with God one-to-one, privately, internally. That you want to please Him and serve Him. You get up in the morning speaking to Him. You, you get up at night. If you're like me, you know, when, I didn't know this when I was young, but I'm going to tell you young people, Jared, you sleep through the night? Do you sleep through the night? Enjoy it because you won't. <laughs> I forgot the last time I slept through the night. I bet it's been 20 years. How many here haven't slept through the night in a long time? Look at that, Jared. Look at that. That's you, man. What happens when you get old? You can't sleep through the night. You get up for various reasons. I get up and talk to God. I get up quoting Scripture. I quote Corey. I quote quote, uh, quote Psalm 100. Uh, Quote Psalm 1. Quote Psalm 23. Quote different psalms I've tried to memorize, parts of Scripture, and I go back to bed. Then I get up again, and I quote some stuff, talk to him, thank him for my woman that's laying there sleeping like a baby, thanking him that he gives her a nice sleep. And Amen? Talk to him, walk with him. Secondly, when they could, they did the will of God before the jam. It's important. 
They had good works to refer back to. Now, you're not saved by good works. Man, no, don't get it wrong. You're saved by the grace of God, period. Add, add absolutely nothing, take away nothing. You have simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again the third day as your Savior, as the Savior, not among many, but the Savior. And you do that with all your heart. The Bible says, Thou confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Establish a relationship by grace through faith. But after you get saved, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's verse 10 that nobody wants to quote. We quote 8 and 9, but we don't quote 10. But brother, if you're born from above, and my name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and he's preparing a mansion for me that's just going to be the right color, the right shape, the right size, the right everything. It's going to have all the amenities, a great workroom and everything. Big garage. Have a little bedroom and a massive garage. All the men said. We don't need kitchens. We don't need that. All of that, all that dining room stuff. We waste the space on. We need a big garage. I saw a house put in a real fancy neighborhood. It had six car garage. I thought, that's my kind of guy. I don't know how they let him build it in there, but man, he got away with it. Of course, you got to fill it, but I mean, nevertheless. But not by works. You're not, get, you're not getting, you're, you know, I, if you're saved, you got all those things going, you do as a born again Christian. You're grateful. Who wouldn't be grateful that their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Who wouldn't be grateful you've been delivered from hell, a real hell, an eternal hell? Who wouldn't be grateful for that? Who wouldn't be grateful that Jesus loved you while you didn't even know him? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Who wouldn't be grateful for the word of God that you've been given to give you an instruction to answer every question you can come up with about life just about? And it's there. It's in the book. God solved the mysteries of life. Who wouldn't be grateful for all that? And that's why we serve him. We serve him because we're grateful. We don't serve him to get to heaven. I'm not serving, serving him to get special points, you know, like a point system. I'm just doing it because I want to do it. I'm doing it because I get to do it. I'm, giving my, I'm laying everything down because it's his anyway, man. It's his anyway. I told my wife coming to church this morning, uh, I said, you know, God's made this place, even in its fallen nature, fairly beautiful. But, we want it, but what happens is you want to grab it and keep it and make everything important, this place. But it's not this place that's important, ultimately. It's that place. But here now, of course, we do His will. It is important to serve Him, and we're in this environment. But nothing we, get, we have or attain, we get to keep. And He does that so that we'll keep focused, right? So that when you get in the jam and God puts you in a place where your back's against the wall, what are you going to do? What you going to do? Well, if you serve God all along the way, you're going to maybe do what Hezekiah did. Maybe you'll do. Maybe you'll do what Jeremiah did. Maybe you'll do what Nehemiah did. Maybe you'll do what Samson did. Lord, remember me. It's interesting to me that David did this 
even after his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51 is, is uh, universally considered David's repentance psalm. David did a horrible thing. He murdered, committed adultery, horrible, absolutely horrible. And he suffered seriously from it. But he was forgiven. And he wrote Psalm 51 to express his repentance towards God. Against thee, thee and the only have I sinned on this evil in thy sight. He didn't blame he wrote also Psalm 32, I think, as a sister repentance psalm. So 32 and 51. Read them. But listen to what he says in verse 1. Have mercy upon me. I can hear him almost say, God, remember me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David had been zealous for God. David had walked with God. David was called a, uh, a sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, spoken of in the New Testament about him. And yet he sinned and he did wickedly, ab abominable thing. He was back against the wall, man. He was jammed back against the wall. He had no place to go. And he said, what did he do? He cried out for God's mercy in remembrance of him. And God had mercy on him and did not take his life and was called to remembrance. So what will you do? Well, if I was you, I'd start now. Oh, by the way, did you want to find out what happened to that job? I made you wait all this time. So I'm in a jam. My life's passing before my eyes. I don't have a hundred bucks in the bank total. And this job's probably seven, eight thousand dollars worth of carpet. I'm gonna have to buy it. I'm responsible for it. And I just was trying to figure out what to tell my mother, my wife, my dad, the people, you know, why I blew this whole thing. And I was on my knees, I spent a lot of time on my knees. I got down on my knees. I was already on my knees, the wrinkles in front of me. And I said, God, help me. I'm at school. I'm trying to do your will. But I got to have your help. And in a way, like Hezekiah, I said, Lord, remember me. Because if you don't help me now, and it better be real quick, this can't wait. I said that. This has got to be right now. And I'm telling you, an idea came into my head. A statement went through my head. Use your knee kicker. I never had done that before. Never heard about it. Never anybody told me that or showed me that. I ran over and got my knee kicker. Do you all know what a knee kicker is? And I got my knee kicker and put it on the other side of the wrinkle and just barely started doing this and it moved. And it didn't take the rubber off the back of the carpet. And I did it again. And I did it again. I did it again. And it smoothed out. And I went and finished that, that one. Finished the whole job. Did the whole job. Got paid. Had money. And didn't lose it all. Didn't have to call my dad in disgrace. I believe there's a God in heaven. And he cares about stuff like that. For the people that serve him. 
You don't have time to hear all the other jams I've been in and God's answer. But I can tell you, I serve a risen Savior who cares about the small things in my life, the little things in my life. I'm not alone. I'm not going through this thing alone. I'm going together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it's important and when you're back against the wall and, and by the grace of God, he'll help you miraculously, and many of you have testimonies to this, how he has miraculously delivered you and miraculously come in for you. All I can say is live for him day by day, do his will, and when you get in a jam, say, Lord, remember me. I finish with this. The thief on the cross. He had nothing. He had no hope. But he had heard Jesus speak what they call, well, he hadn't, hadn't heard them all yet, but the seven kisses of Calvary, the seven sayings from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Son, this is your mother. Mother is your son. Take care of her. The seven kisses of Calvary. And it moved him. Because the Bible says at the beginning, he railed on Jesus. He railed, just like those two thieves railed on Jesus. But it came a turning point, didn't it? And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't have anything else to say. And Jesus said, Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. If you're here tonight, if you're here this morning and don't have any place to go, go to Jesus with a humble heart and a broken spirit and he'll come to you and help you, forgive you, and be with you all the way home. Father, help us this morning. May the word of God go forth powerfully. May the Holy Spirit apply this truth as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.